All right, thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, it's, my name's uh, Tim Barker. Uh, my wife uh, and my son, we live in Stoneham, and it's my privilege to open up uh, the Bible with you today and, and look at this passage that uh, Laurel just read. When we think about what we're going to do this morning, uh, we're going to do some doctrinal preaching. Uh, so if that word hits your head and you start thinking, okay, it's Memorial Day weekend, how heady is this going to be? This might, might be uh, a little bit uh, more than I'm looking to take in today. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to distill and remove that whole idea from your mind. When we think about doctrine, what we're talking about is thinking about what we believe and have that be a foundation for how we live. So as we spend some time this morning looking at baptism, as Matt talked about in the the children's sermon and from uh, the passage that Laurel just read, what I'm driving for, what I want us to go for today is for all of us to be really clear about what spirit baptism is, what water baptism is, and understand what action each of us need to take from there. And that's really what doctrine's about. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about all scripture is given to us. It's God-breathed. It's inspired for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction. So we have to think right if we're going to do anything right in our lives. So let's pray together that we meet that end. That's what we're aiming for, and we'll, we'll run through that together. God, I thank you for the chance to meet together. I thank you for each and every person that you've brought in today to look into your word together. I pray that you would enlighten our eyes, that you would quiet our minds, that we would hear from you, and that you would drive us toward belief, you would change our unbelief, and you would drive us to actions of obedience, God. We ask this in your name, amen. I don't know when the last time was that you felt entirely ignorant. Anything coming to mind? Some time when you just had no earthly idea what, was someone, what someone was talking about or what the right action was. It could have been a situation where uh, maybe it's that new website that you're just not cool enough to know about, the new app. I don't know if you feel like that. Remember when Uber was this first thing and the first time somebody came up to you and said, like, Uber, of course, and you're like, what are you talking about? It's so strange. Maybe it's a a situation where you started a new job and you don't know any of the right actions to do. You don't know how to sit, where you go, what the expectation is, what should I even wear, Um, those kind of strange moments. Or how about when you move to a new place? I'm uh, somewhat nostalgic. I'm thinking here, I've almost been in the Boston area now for about six years coming up in this next week. And when we first moved here, Katie and I uh, moved to the city of Somerville, and we were, uh, were there, got our apartment, ready to move in there on June 1st. And uh, I can still remember just being utterly clueless about parking. A real Bostonian problem, right? All throughout the area. What do you do with parking? So I read meticulously. I'm like, I've done some study. I think I can parse a, parse a sign here for parking. I'm kind of incorrect on that. But anyways, you see, okay, there seems like there's a couple hours in the day when you can park here. I think that's what the sign's saying. And so numerous tickets down the road, of course. I've learned that I don't understand that fully. But really, in those first couple days, when I moved in in June, if, uh, if you would have told me and walked with me and said, hey, what are you thinking about doing for, you know, winter storm emergency parking? I would have looked at you and I would have said, I have no idea what you're talking about. What, what do you mean, winter, storm, emergency, parking? Why, why, I'll just park where I am right now. Why is that an issue? Fast forward six, seven months later, I can remember, oh, this is clearly what we mean. I can only park on this side of the street during this time. There'll be emergency warnings. I have to move my car. Basically, I'll move my car pretty much every day to get used to some kind of snow emergency, left side, right side. What do we need to do? So I was in a circumstance where I had no earthly idea what someone was talking about. 
And because I had no idea about it, I couldn't hope to take any of the correct actions. I couldn't have any chance of doing the right thing because my belief was totally, it was not on my radar at all, totally missing it. So that's sort of what's happening here in this passage. When Laurel read it, you hear some disciples who just have no idea what Paul's talking about. It seems odd. I mean, we're reading this in the Bible. That seems like an odd thing that they have no idea what's going on. So what we're going to do is start by kind of unpacking what's happening here and what does this talk and teach us about uh, baptism. We're going to see from this that really baptism by the Holy Spirit, the spirit baptism, happens internally at the point of true belief. And water baptism, which is what we usually think of when we refer to baptism, is an outward sign of that inward action. So today... We're going to call some to action. We're going to say this may be a response you need to have. And then we're going to hopefully comfort you. Those of you who have experienced baptism, give you a clear understanding of what that may instill and and hopefully uh, give you confidence from that. So if you have your Bibles, looking at Acts 19, we're just going to real simply kind of walk through the first seven verses is where we're going to kind of park for today. And we're going to look at just kind of what's going on in these verses. So if you look at verse 1 in Acts 19, You have this guy, Apollos. You remember we talked about him a few weeks ago. He's this rock star. He's over in Corinth. And at that same time, Paul is showing up in the place of Ephesus. He's here in this city. It's in modern-day Turkey. And he meets some disciples, as it says in verse 1. So when it says some disciples, we're probably tempted to think of this as the disciples we normally hear about, right? There was like 12 of them, James, John, and there's like songs and stuff to remember the rest of them. And you have that list of 12 guys that followed around with Jesus, and then all the later disciples after them. These aren't those disciples. These are just some disciples. So as we kind of look at the rest of what's happening in this section, these disciples weren't followers of Jesus, people who were following him. They were following John the Baptist. You think about John the Baptist, he shows up really remarkably in all four gospels, really in like the first three chapters of all those gospels. You hear about John the Baptist. He was a big deal. What he was doing before Jesus, was he was starting a preparation ministry. He was going into uh, the Judean wilderness, and he was like a big deal. People were coming from all around to hear what he was talking about. And what he was calling people to was a life of repentance, taking them away from kind of hollow religion, just kind of going through the motions, and calling them back to repentance and true faith, and waiting for a Messiah. They were going to be ready and prepare the way for this great Jewish Messiah that was to come. It was an exciting message, uh, and these were some of those later disciples who somehow ended up in some kind of migration up to Ephesus, this, this city up in Turkey. So that's who he meets. He comes up to them, and then you see in verse 2, he asks them uh, kind of a straightforward question, and maybe not like your favorite on the corner, meet somebody in Starbucks kind of question, but he asks a pretty direct one here. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's kind of feeling them out, seeing what happens. Uh, this idea of if they've received the Spirit is really to see, have they had new birth? Have they believed in Jesus, the gospel that we think of? Their response, pretty much similar to my understanding of winter parking in Somerville, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So here you have this group of disciples who are, are, are following John the Baptist, waiting for this Messiah, and they have no idea that the Holy Spirit is there, what, he, what he's responsible for, what, what that part of it is. So then Paul, as you see that next verse, starts to kind of understand more about what they're doing. Well, then what were you baptized into? And he explains, well, they were, they were baptized into John the Baptist's teachings, a following that, again, called them to repentance and ultimately was waiting for this future Messiah. Well, you can imagine how well that went for, for Paul right after that. 
as he cracks into uh, verse, verse 4, he says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one that was to come after him. That is Jesus. Now, I'm sure they said some more words than that. Paul probably had a, a few more lines that he had to fill in for the blanks there. But that's exciting. I mean, he sat there and they said, guess what? You guys have been waiting for the Jewish Messiah. I got some good news for you. Jesus Christ is that Messiah. He's fulfilled all of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. He lived a perfect life. He died, and he is your Messiah. Believe in him. What John was talking about, that's who Jesus is. So that's an exciting message for those guys in that time period. They got to hear that that happened. You see in the next verse, they basically believe that and take some action. So let's take another look here at verse, uh, verse 5. Uh, it says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's some quick action that happens. They, they hear this, they believe, and they're out there getting wet as fast as they possibly can. Uh, that's an interesting scenario. We don't always see that. We don't see that in our own life on a constant basis. But these uh, individuals are believing quickly, and they're ready to immediately change their life and follow this Messiah. It's who they were waiting for. Then something kind of unique and strange happens in verse 6. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what we have described for us in verse 6 is really a form of spirit baptism that's taking place. And what's unique about this is that it's following the water baptism. The reason I call this somewhat strange is because that's not how it works today. Okay, This is not normative. This is not the normal way that it works. The normal progression that happens is someone hears the gospel, they believe in the gospel, they put faith into it, and then they're internally going to be spirit baptized. They'll be changed. The spirit comes, indwells them, changes their life from the inside out. We're going to talk about some other implications here in a second. Then, at some later point, they're baptized with water. They go through that, and that happens. Nothing further is going to happen. They're not waiting somehow for the spirit to come again and do something different. But what we have here is a really interesting transition point in the history of the church. During this phase, the gospel is continuing to be spread. It started as just a Jewish sect, and it was functioning in Jerusalem. The the Judaizers were learning of it, turning to faith, following Jesus. Persecution happens, the faith continues to spread. So we find in Acts 8, it actually goes to Samaritans. These are people that the Jewish ethnic group didn't necessarily get along with. And yet, we see when they believe, there's a similar circumstance that happens. The Spirit comes at a delayed fashion. They believe, and then the Spirit comes, and it comes at the presence of an apostle. In that case, it was Peter. Now we have Paul present here, and now the mission has not just gone to Samaritans, which are sort of half-breed Jews. It's now going to Gentiles. It's going to people who had come and fully uh, taken the mission beyond a Jewish subset and starting to spread this out into further Gentile believers. And so as that mission is present, Paul places his hands on these believers after their water baptism, and the Spirit comes down, and it's even more significant that something more unique happens. They begin to speak in tongues, and they're prophesying language. This doesn't happen on a regular basis, but at times of transition, we see that God is very explicit and does these unique things throughout the book of Acts. So I want to talk a little bit about what it's like for something to be true and really, really happen, but not normative, that we should be looking for it as like the normal way this happens. And so I was thinking of baseball. All right, if I'm honest, that's a lot of times on my mind. And when I think about baseball, I thought, okay, if someone came up to me and asked me, how do you get to first base? You're the batter. How do you get to first base? If I told them what you need to do is swing three times and miss the ball each time, 
then make sure on that third one that the catcher does not catch that third pitch. Let it hit the ground. And then if you run as fast as you can to an empty first base, you're there if the catcher can't beat you with the ball. That would be the weirdest way to tell someone how to get to first base, right? But is it true? Absolutely. Definitely can happen that way. Not common, a rare occurrence, but that is a way to get to first base. I thought of another example, in case you're not a big baseball fan. It comes up from time to time. I uh, can't believe it, but sometimes uh, there's people who aren't baseball fans. You think about uh, buying a home. Okay, we could say one of the ways you could buy a home is you could wait for your parents to get really, really old. And then when they're really old, see if they'll like gift you the house for like a dollar. And then you can take ownership of the home, and that's how you buy a home. Does it happen that way for some people? Absolutely. A totally legitimate way to buy a home, pass from a family member, you benefit from that, happens several times. We probably all know someone who's had a circumstances where they've been gifted something of that height, whether a car, a home, something like that. And yet, that's not how you would tell someone the process is to buy a home. That's not the best approach. So while something can happen, and it's very much a true, legitimate occurrence, it's not the normative way that it typically happens. And throughout the New Testament, we don't see this exact scenario happening over and over again. So that's part of what clues us in to know this is sort of a unique happening, something that we're not really expecting. God could do it at any point, sure. We're not doubting God's abilities to act. We're just saying this isn't typically what we see as the normal way that God acts. Usually what we see is a little bit more like what happens in the book of Corinthians. In chapter 12, it talks about people believing and then being baptized into one spirit, showing that there's a connection between spirit baptism and water baptism. That is usually what we expect to see. And then uh, additionally, uh, we don't see uh, always the company of speaking in tongues and prophesying as part of where the spirits work can certainly happen, has happened in history. We see that in, in the text of Acts, but that's not what we see as the normal way in which God is showing that someone has been baptized. So that's kind of what's happening here in our passage. It's a little unique, a little interesting in what's happening there. But I want to talk then a little bit more about what do we mean by spirit baptism. I've used that term, you've heard it thrown out there, and it's probably a, a little bit less common uh, than how we describe it uh, usually. So I want, to, I want to set some backdrop for this. Spirit baptism is the internal reality that occurs when we believe in Jesus and his announcement. We're united and unified with Jesus. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His rising becomes our rising. So in essence, he has this story of a perfect, sinless son who lives and dies and buries again. And we have our story of desperate, sinful, despicable people who have no chance of getting out of that, constantly on our way for more sin and ending up eventually in hell. And yet our story somehow merges with his story. And instead of us having this third-person story about this guy, Jesus, and what happened in his life, it becomes a first-person plural. We died. We were buried. We were risen. We live. And that remarkable change in the circumstance brings us into uniting with Jesus when we believe the gospel. One of the ways of describing that is spirit baptism. Romans 6 is the key passage that tells us what this is like. So I'm going to read from there. If you can just listen carefully, I know it's sometimes difficult to listen to someone read aloud to you, but please just listen to these words in the context of what I'm talking about in spirit baptism. Romans 6 verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in, or alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul mentions baptism here, and he talks about it as a uniting part of our story. And the question comes up, is he talking about spirit baptism? Is he talking about water baptism? This is a, a big question here, what's happening. The beauty is, he's really talking about both. The way that the New Testament is typically calling us is that as we believe, we have spirit baptism that follows that. And then the, 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 the language of the New Testament, what Paul's experience is, is a lot like these guys here in uh, Acts 19 for this reason, they're like quickly getting baptized. There's no idea this huge delay. They're believing, it's true, let me go get baptized. They're on top of that, following it quickly. So the language of Romans 6, while better understood as probably spirit baptism, it's so closely connected with water baptism, you can't miss it of what's happening here. So when it talks about this language, listen, listen to it. It's, it's saying that we're rendering ourselves dead to sin. That doesn't happen when you just get wet, right? Otherwise, We'd probably taking more showers, maybe some baths if you needed to, right? It's not just some contact with the water that makes that happen. It's that inward change that makes you dead to sin. It's that inward change of believing the gospel and the work of the Spirit in your life that makes you alive and can then experience the resurrection. Let me put it this way. There are certain events in life, right, where nothing changes in the room, and yet everything changes in the room. A couple of things that come to mind. One of those is, is marriage. Another one is adoption. Think about marriage, what happens, right? All you really need, I know we go berserk on marriage and wedding and all those things, but if you just think about it, right, you need a few people. You need uh, some person to officiate. Some words are going to be said. Probably some rings might be part of it. And those people walk into the room, and then boom, 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 about 25 minutes usually. Let's be honest, it's pretty quick usually. Boom, they're out, and all of a sudden they're married. Nothing's changed. The same people walked in, the same people walk out. Nothing dramatic happened. No one's usually disfigured or changed in some way. It's like the same people that just walked in. Now they're married. An inward change happened in that room that changed everything, and yet nothing changed that you can visibly see. Similarly with adoption. It takes a judge, some, some adults, a child, some words, some papers. All of a sudden, this child is now a part of this family amazing elements that happen in that way where nothing has changed and yet everything has changed. That's what happens in spirit baptism. We believe the gospel and everything changes. You're believing in faith. This is amazing. I can't believe these words are true. And yet you're the same guy that put on the pants that morning, the same guy that's going to go to work, get in his car, but everything has changed. Now you're dead to sin. You no longer have to serve sin. You have the ability to love God, to do right. And as you feel that, your heart's beating a whole different way. So that's happened in spirit baptism. Unbelievable. Everything's changed. So if something that seismic, that big happened in your life, wouldn't it make sense that you'd want to do something different? 
some way to show everyone else that this has been totally different in your life? Ah, the Bible thought of that. God has given us the great gift of water baptism. Water baptism is that moment when you've had spirit baptism and you are jazzed as jazz can be. You're excited. You're changed over. How do you not tell other people that that's happened to you? How do you not then follow in the waters of baptism to tell the world that you are a follower of Jesus? That's the opportunity that happens here. As these men did it very quickly, it's the natural following of what happens for us. So I was trying to think about water baptism. In some ways, I've definitely, hopefully, sold you spirit baptism is a good thing. It's a real thing. It's important. It happens. It's a big deal. But I might be undercutting water baptism. I'm not careful. So let me make sure I do a good job of explaining what's happening here. Okay, I don't want you to miss this. It's vital. Okay, we can't miss it. If we don't follow through with this water baptism, what we're really doing is we have an incomplete story. I was trying to think of some good examples. I'm not very trendy or cool in general. So the movies I was thinking about that I liked, I was like Batman, The Dark Knight, Taken, Shawshank Redemption. I start sounding like I'm like 10, 15 years older than I am, something like that. Anyways, uh, The Sixth Sense. Okay, these are cool movies. I want you to, oh yeah, I also threw in Even 27 Dresses, Sabrina, The Notebook. Okay, I'm broad appeal. Okay, uh, so if you think about these, imagine your favorite movie that's way cooler than the ones that I've listed. And imagine watching just 45 minutes of that movie and then turning it off. How incomplete would that story be, right? The building, building, got to that climax in a lot of movies. I don't know what happened. You'd never know where the rest of that is. That's sort of what happens if we don't see it through to water baptism. We're incomplete in the reflection of what's happened. I've kind of slowly been becoming a morning person as well. Uh, This is another way of thinking about it. Let's see. I was your normal teenager, normal college kid, stay up as late as possible, sleep as late as possible, definitely the way to go. And then for the first five years out of college, I uh, worked the second shift, so totally eating dinner at like 1130 at night, very normal. Uh, And then kind of the last like five or six years, I'm becoming a grown up, starting to learn what it's like to wake up early in the morning. One of the weird side effects of this uh, that I always saw in my dad and now seem to be living as well is I get really tired in the evening now. You know, like earlier and earlier, I'm like, I don't want to be up to 10 o'clock. It's way too late at night. I'd really like to be in bed before then. Uh, And it just keeps kind of creeping up. So one of the knock-on effects of this is that I sometimes miss the end of the game. Uh, Probably the worst example of this most recently is the NCAA Finals, Villanova, North Carolina. I got to 10 minutes. I watched the whole game, 10 minutes left in the second half. It's been a pretty good game. And I said, I'm falling asleep in my chair, and I said, you know, I don't really care about Villanova or North Carolina. I really like my bed. I'm going to go to bed. My brother-in-law happens to be over at the time. He's, he's like, what are you doing? You can't possibly go to bed. There's 10 minutes left of the national championship. I'm like, no, no, I'm totally fine. I'll go to sleep. So I went to bed. And he finished the game, told me all about how amazing it was, and all that happened. But let's just say for a moment, I go to bed. No one's there to tell me what happened. I don't check any CBS uh, sports. I don't watch Sports Center. Don't turn on the radio. I go to work get my coffee, walk around, tell somebody, man, what a game. North Carolina, that was incredible, weren't they? Go NC, you know, that was awesome. I would be so inaccurate. They didn't win, if you didn't know. Villanova won. So crazy, crazy game, lots of stuff at the end of the game that I would have totally missed. And I would have been so inaccurate in my description of what happened in that game. That's what happens if we go with water baptism and never had spirit baptism. Both of these baptisms are essential. Water baptism without true spirit baptism is an accuracy. 
Spirit baptism without following with water baptism is incomplete. I want to be clear. Water baptism in no way saves you. There's no reason to go through with it. There's no performance. All that it can be is a beautiful, beautiful reflection of what's already happened internally to you. So I have one more point to make regarding uh, water baptism. What are its uses? Why is it so important? Okay, it's a pretty picture, follows through, it's complete. There's one more thing I want to bring, it, bring to home to you. Many of you have probably gone through the waters of baptism as well as a true completion of your inward faith, that spirit baptism. So what do you do now? That was a decade, two decades ago, even a year ago for some folks, right? You're thinking, that's a long time ago. What, what difference does that make for me? What I want to say is that water baptism has an ongoing use to you as well. It can continue to encourage your faith. When we think about the Christian faith, it's a lot like how Peter describes it in his, his epistle, 1 Peter. It's like we love somebody we've never seen, okay? You, you get that feeling like we love this Jesus? I, I've never seen him. You know, we follow the teachings of a person. We've never heard his voice. We follow along someone we've been healed and touched by someone who's never had his hands on us. That's hard sometimes. That's a challenge, but that's the essence of faith, right? Hebrews 11 tells us it's that hope in things unseen. It's that confidence in things that we, we, uh, we, we can't see and taste and feel. And yet, baptism is a sweet, sweet gift that God has given us to encourage our faith. So whether it's been a year, five years, 10, 20, or onward, That water baptism is something that happened evidentially in this physical world to you. You still remember what it was like, because it's kind of shocking a little bit to end up in water and under the water and in front of a bunch of people while you do it, right? It's not quite like a pool party. It's a little different thing. So when you're there, you're thinking, this was a big buildup. God uses such a simple, mundane thing like being dunked in water to remind you of that enormous inward change that's happened. I mean, think about that. You are immersed as you die, as you're buried and you're submerged, and then you're raised in newness of life. That whole picture of what's happened internally and beating in your heart is played out in front of a big crowd, shown in water as it drips off you. That's the truth that's come true in your life as you go through with that. That's something you can't forget. You, don't, you can't remember every element of the unseen world, but that baptism is something you remember. And that is a God providential gift. He's given us a thing in our world that we can see to make it different. It's no different than the elements we have here that we'll partake of in the Lord's table, right? Such mundane things, bread, juice, simple stuff. And yet we're reminded of enormous truth by these very simple objects. What about, what about water baptism? A simple thing, guess what? The most plentiful substance on the earth water across all geographies throughout time. If water goes anywhere, earth is over. It's not going anywhere. That's a little bit of a spoiler alert, okay? The water will still be here. And so that means the ordinance, the sacrament of baptism will always be with us as we're on this earth. Any people group, any place in the world can experience that same baptism and have that same message driven home to them week after week, that they see this and reflect. So as we watch someone else go through the waters of baptism, it should be amazing. We're seeing someone walk in the room, and we're seeing them leave exactly the same way, but everything has changed. It's visible to us, and it should remind each of us of that same faith 
that we've exhibited in following that in obedience as well. It's real. Just as real as I can remember being dunked in water, that's what my faith is like. I can re- recall that. It didn't save me. Don't miss it. Don't just get dunked. It's, an, it's not going to be accurate then for you. But if it's true faith, true belief, then that dunking is significant. So I want to close with some really poignant application that's really clear. If you've heard this today and you say, I am not a believer, I am not following Jesus, hear these words. Christ is calling for you to believe. Believe the message. Christ has lived his life for you. He's lived, he's died, and he's raised again. There's your story and there's his story. We can see how both of these stories have ended. There's an opportunity to have his story become your story in belief. If you have had that belief and you have been spirit baptized, you believe the gospel, but you haven't been obedient in the waters of baptism, hopefully today you hear, yes, I got to do this. This is something that I could visibly live out in front of my friends, my neighbors, my family in such a way that this becomes a very concrete and visible means. So if that's something you're interested in, you should be speaking with one of the pastors, talking with them, encouraging them, having dialogue, understand what this would look like, what this would entail, because that is a significant part from this passage. And finally, if you have been baptized both in spirit and in water, this is your chance. You should be thinking about that. When your faith is having a tough week, when you're unsure, did I really mean to be different? Am I really following Jesus? God has given you a special gift, that memory, the remembrance of water and being submerged to help come along and console your faith. It was a real event. You can recall it. You might even have it written down somewhere when that date was. That's to help you and encourage your faith to follow along and know, yes, even through the difficult times, I really believe then, and look what happened. I had a visible display. God came down and worked in my life. Now here I am today, some time removed. God still worked in my life, and I remember those waters. That's meaningful for us all. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance to look into this together. I pray that you would keep us uh, mindful of what you've done in, uh, in baptism. God, a beautiful gift to us. I pray that we'd receive it, and you would change our minds and help us to obey in the ways that we need to.